Welcome to the May 12th, 2022 Science Fiction Club meeting. And uh, we have some very um, interesting books to discuss tonight, I assume. Uh, well, I'm just, oh, oh, Roger, do you want to go first? Is that okay? Well, I guess I always go first. So You usually do, yeah, when you're here. It's just a kind of a quasi-tradition we started. And Okay, I may as well now. May as um, well. I'm bringing you, uh, my mind went blank there for a moment. I'm bringing <laughs> you the, the Man Kazin Wars by, uh, the Man Kazin Wars 1 by Larry Niven, Paul Anderson, and Dean Ng. Those oh. are three authors you usually don't see together. Um. That's Kazin, spelled K-Z-I-N, by the way. I found this on Bookshare, and it was in good condition. It's pretty readable, though. It's really very readable, but I made a quality report on it anyway for a few little errors that popped up, and Bookshare sent me an email telling me that they will rescan the whole book and republish it. So I am gradually moving some of those good condition books into excellent condition that way. Anyway, um, Larry Niven said that this was actually his first story that he came up with while he was daydreaming in a math class. And after the math class, he realized he had a story. So he wrote it and submitted it and got it rejected. <laughs> And, well, that's what you call juvenilia. Almost all authors have to go through a gazillion rejections before they actually start selling. And usually they write a different story every time. But this time, um, Larry Niven just kept rewriting the same story, trying to improve it and getting it rejected over and over until finally it was... Uh, Frederick Pohl, I think he was the editor of Galaxy, finally sent him a letter saying, well, I think this could be improved, but by now you're probably tired of reworking it, so I'm going to go ahead and buy it as it is. And it was his first sale. And what, what it is all about is humans have given up war and then they start spreading out into the galaxy and well there are other species out there in the galaxy and one of the one that has the reputation for being some of the fiercest warriors of all are the Kazin or also known as the Kazenti I think Kasenti is plural, so um, Kazin, I think, is equivalent to man, as in the title, the Man-Kazin Wars. If it had been changed to men, it might have been the Men-Kasenti Wars. But anyway, humanity has given up wars, so uh, the Kazin say, hey, they don't even conduct war. Oh, what pushovers. We're going to conquer them. And they launch into trying to conquer the humans. 
what they didn't count on is that the reason humans had given up war was because they were so damn good at it. It was a matter of quit fighting each other or go extinct. And when they are attacked by the Kassin, um, well, humanity beats the Kassin altogether, fights them back and defeats them. Um, now, this was basically a short story, but apparently Larry Niven talked Paul Anderson and Dean Ng into writing stories based in his same universe, in the human Kassin war universe. And apparently there is a series of wars between the humans and the Kassin. And um, it appears that each of the stories in this book, uh, and by the way, there are only three stories in this book. Each of the stories deals with another one of the wars or it could be that, um, I don't know, it's not made real clear. It could be one war that they, um, uh, different aspects of the same war or something like that. But I do notice that the title says wars, plural, W-A-R-S. In any case, uh, this apparently turns into a series. I think there are about 20 books that it looks like they are all anthologies. I haven't read more than this one, the first one, but I assume that they're all anthologies based on this human Kassin war. Um, in this particular volume, I think the best one, the best story was the third one, the last one, and I'm supposing that was written by Dean, Dean Ng. I liked it because it was funny but it really did strain one's credibility. I, I, I believe it was mentioned here before. I think it was Isaac Asimov said that um, one reason you really don't have to worry about humans catching diseases from alien beings is because the biochemistry would be so different. That'd be kind of like humans catching Dutch elm disease. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily agree that it would be that hard to catch something because I can imagine a virus that is completely innocuous to an alien species might very well be um, harmful to humans. Viruses are kind of funny about that. You don't know what they're going to turn into. But in any case, in this case, I think that what is proposed in this book is more incredible than that bit about catching Dutch elm disease even. Um, it seems that the Kazin are cat-like beings. Now, what I think strains my credibility is, first of all, I don't think that aliens from out there in the galaxy somewhere are going to be like... Um, and like, well, like cats or giraffes or anything else on Earth. They're going to be an entirely alien species and they're not going to be cat beings. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, even if they were like cat beings, I don't think they're going to have behavior patterns and instincts and so on 
that match uh, earthly house cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that really, it's much more likely that you're going to catch Dutch elm disease than that. <laughs> but I thought the story was kind of funny anyway, because what happens is there is a non-combatant human who gets captured by the Kazin. And, well, he really doesn't want to have anything to do with the war. And he's explaining to his captors that he was just um, going along for a ride and ended up in a battle with them and got captured by them. But he says, well, now that you've captured me, he expects to be well-treated. He says, keep me, uh, be sure to treat me as a captive. And the Kazen guy um, kind of purrs at him and says, we'll be glad to. We eat captives. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what they do, they give him a chance to go into a place where he can hide from them and just live out his life until maybe someday humans will liberate him or until then he can hide from them easily and they dump him out in the wilderness on some planet. And well, apparently this wilderness is a game preserve. Not only are the Kazin carnivores, but they like to hunt and he's been dumped on a game preserve and presumably he will be one of the game animals there and if he's smart enough to keep hidden and stay away from them, they won't harvest him from the game preserve. But there he is out in the wilderness, and somehow, I, I wasn't really quite clear on how this happened. One of the Kazin, a female Kazin, finds herself exiled to this game preserve herself. And females are non-sentient, by the way. Uh, this one seemed to be sentient. Well, it, in the in the uh, books, uh, the Ringworld books, and in uh, other other places, I've seen the the females are not supposed to be sentient. Well, th this is not one of the Ringworld books, though. Well, those were written after the Man Kazin Wars were over. Yeah, uh, and they're and they and the Kazin is part of that. Um, he's he's a, one of the main characters. But and, in any um, case, in this case. The female Kazin goes in the heat, and there is only one male around, the human male. And she starts sending off sexual signals to him. Kazin sexual signals, that is cat sexual signals. But first of all, he is not into bestiality. Second, he doesn't recognize the sexual signals. And that leads to, I don't know if the story was meant to be funny, but it struck me as funny. And frankly, I think, um, well, it, it, it seems that she does save his life with these attentions she's giving him. He's, she keeps asking him to bite her neck which, of course, among cats, female cats in heat, is a strong sexual stimulant. And to nuzzle her fur and stuff like that, 
and he has no idea why she's asking him this. But in any case, one of the hunting Kassens catch up and is about to kill him when she says, quick, um, nuzzle my neck, bite my neck. And the other Kassen sees him doing this. And I don't know whether it's cultural or instinctual, but the Kassen, male Kassens, when they see a female in heat, in heat, it seems to be taken by another male, they automatically back off, or it could be of great danger to them. So in that way, it saves his life. But in any case, there are, I think, altogether about 20 volumes, and this is the only one I've read. So um, apparently all the other authors just write stories in the same universe that Larry Niven created. And as for the Ringworld book, well, if it is after the wars, but still in the same universe, I had no idea of that. So yeah, they're they're uh, the Kazini yeah. have been uh, the humans have won by then. The Kazini are yeah. much reduced in population and their empire, and they're much more docile now. They get along much better with humans, and they're still they still have some of those impulses. But um, and there's a novel in the space opera Renaissance book called Survivor. It's actually eight hours long, written by Donald Kingsbury about the Mancusetti Wars. And apparently they, according to him, and they mentioned at the beginning that he uh, was tried to be very consistent with Niven's university. They launched about four operations against the earth. Um, when they lost, they, um, there was, uh, they, he does describe the war to some extent. It went on for several decades or more than a century, I forget, uh, because of light speed. You know, they don't have the hyperdrive and the humans discover it during the Mancusin Wars. Well, um, I'll say this. if Maybe things changed along through the timeline, through the history or something, or maybe it's just inconsistent. But if females are not sentient, all I can say is this particular female in this particular story certainly did strike me as sentient. Mm. I don't know. I always thought it was kind of silly. But anyway, um, I enjoyed the Ringworld books, even though I thought the Kazini were kind of... It's kind of thing that gives science fiction a, um, a scornful appearance to some people, <laughs> this kind of thing. It, it, that's what it strikes me as. Um but um, yeah, I liked Niven's. Uh, I didn't read any of these, but I liked others of others of Niven's books. Um, and the Ringworld was a great idea. It was fun to let your imagination kind of rove over, and you know, because there's so much vastness to it. Um, those kinds of things are really neat. And it was those books were fun. The first two, anyway. I read the third one, and I got tired of it. I think it was just getting, you know. I just think he was milking it by that point. But what do I know? I'm cynical. I admit. I really, I like Paul Anderson too. So Oh, I, Paul Anderson's written some great stuff too. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Um, he passed yeah. away too soon. I think he was yeah. only 71 or 70 something. He yeah. was not that old. I wish he had kept going. I mean, mm -hmm. he had lived I, as long I, as Jack I, Williamson. I, yeah, I really <laughs> liked his Time Patrol books. Me too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I liked, um, 
uh, like the boat of a million years and tau zero and some of his other stuff like i even like the fantasy brainwave yeah oh yeah he did write some fantasy but i don't think i read any of that they were good they were sort of it was about um a guy who was playing death and he had to decide whether somebody lived or died and hmm. then there were other ones where people were there had Greek gods involved. It's been so long since I read them, but I liked them all. Hmm. I think they were written for a younger audience, but they were still good. Yeah, back then stuff that was written for a younger audience was, you know, pretty. Yeah, you know, on a pale horse. That was one of the that ones. was it. Yeah, I yep. remember the title though. I didn't yeah. read it. it. It definitely rings a bell. So. Um, all right, The Man Kazin Wars, Volume 1 of, we don't know how many, but there were quite a few. Wikipedia will tell us, I'm sure. Um, what do you think, um, Martin? Yes, sir? You have, uh, you were, you were reading some interesting stuff last time. Okay, uh, I, I, since you mentioned, people spoke about Claire and the Sun, I read it. And I liked it. I thought it was a very tender book. And then I read a book that has to do with artificial intelligence also, although it's not listed as science fiction as such. It's called The Footprints of God by Craig Ailes. And it has to do with a government project to create a computer and, and download the, the whole personality or the whole brain of a person into the supercomputer. And um, it's narrated in the first person by a doctor. And he finds that one of his close colleagues, a close friend of his, was he find, finds him dead in, in his office because apparently he was against them terminating the project, which was called the, um, gee, I forget the name <laughs> of, 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 the, of the name of the project they were, they were doing, but he, he didn't think it was ethical and they killed him for that. So then uh, the, 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 the protagonist is being chased by the people in the government agency who want to, who want to kill him. And he's, he, he's having these strange dreams. And he gets together with this um, psychiatrist. And there's, there's a romantic element. And they're, they're fleeing. And they even go to Israel. And he has these strange dreams about him almost dreaming that he's Jesus Christ and at the crucifixion which I'm not sure exactly how that plays into it, but they, they end up cre- uh, being successful in creating this supercomputer with a personality of this genius who's, who developed the, the, the idea, but it has, uh, it has his negative aspects to it. And, and towards the end of the book, it becomes very exciting because the computer oh. feels that humanity is not worth saving and he gets control of all the nuclear weapons in the world. He's going to destroy them. So oh, wow. our protagonist tries to convince him not to do that. And as I said, there's some very exciting things at the, towards the end. But uh, he finally convinces the computer um, to give up his existence in exchange for having the dog, the, the, the person, his personality and his girlfriend's encoded together into the computer and do it by a, by a, by a scan, a brain scan. And they're able to capture the, every aspect of the personality. And once they take, once they are successful, then this, um, 
this entity realizes that man should be saved and and he, the, at the very end or almost he has several nuclear rockets that are going to fall in different parts of the world and he he cancels them at the very end and it ends by saying that he 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 lives and exists in the internet he doesn't want to allow himself to be destroyed but at the same time he's overlooking humanity and making sure they don't do crazy things mm. Mm. That, so that should have been labeled science fiction absolutely I somebody think, goofed yeah they have it down as i think of suspense fiction or something somebody goofed mm. well yeah not thinking humanity was worth saving that sounded like that might have been my personality downloaded that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy to think that lately <laughs> oh jeepers but i won't go into that but no. that sounds kind of interesting actually uh it is a good book i would recommend it you know in fact he says it in his acknowledgments it was very influenced by kurzweil ah well there you go there right. you go yep well that makes sense but uh, yeah, you definitely that science fiction, whatever the label they put on it. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I would recommend it. The foot, the footprints of God. I can give you the the number if you want it. Oh no, a title will be enough. I'm sure I can find it with the title. Okay. Um, I have no. I will. I won't have any trouble. That's on Bard, right? Right. Oh, I can find it. Sure, or else on Bookshare. One of the two. I'll see. Uh, but I'll find it on Bard. Um. Michelle. Yep, I'm here. What do you think? Um, well, this is going to be a very different kind of book. <laughs> well, that's okay. All of our books are different. Right. So, um, I cannot remember where I heard about this book from, but I, I have a subscription to Libro FM, and I bought it last year, and I never read it. And so I decided to, to read it. And it's, I, it's, I think it's a perfect book for a young adult, which I, which I am not. So I'll, I'll describe it very briefly in case anyone knows um, a, a young person, maybe 12, 14, 15, this would be a perfect book for. It's called In the Quick by Cape Hope Day. And the expression in the quick, I found out, is a slang expression that astronauts use uh, in the final moments before complete oxygen deprivation. So that's a, a lovely thought. Um, and basically the, the book, I think my, my, my problem with the book was, I think the way it was structured, um, it's kind of in like discrete sections and it goes, it does one section, it goes to another section, it goes to a third section. And the way the book was, was described in the reviews that I saw, it was described as Jane Eyre in space. And I love Jane Eyre. It's one of my favorite books. And I thought, oh, okay, let's see what happens if we have Jane Eyre in space. And I would say the comparisons to Jane Eyre are, are slim. Um, basically, the, the main character in Jane Eyre is Jane. The main character here is June. Um, she's an orphan, just like oh, Jane my, yeah. And um, if you've read Jane Eyre and, and you've read about Low Word Academy, this, the place that she went to here, which was a boarding school for astronaut training, was not anything like Low Wood Academy. And that was as far as I could see the comparisons, honestly. Um, but it, that's all the reviews I saw described it that way. So they must have had very good marketing or something. On or this they were book. just lazy and reached for the 
that could be they can think of without doing <laughs> that, any work right <laughs> but you know what if i was 12 or 14 years old i think i would have really enjoyed this book it just it's not really for an adult audience but basically it starts out with june uh who's 12 years old and she's living with her aunt and her uncle and her uncle is um he designs um uh, equipment and and everything for astronauts and that's what his, his job is. And she loves her uncle and she, she just looks up to him and she's just brilliant. And she has the kind of mind that, you know, everything just falls into place. Like she can look at a problem and right away she could see what the solution is. So she's really brilliant. So they accept her into this astronaut training boarding school much younger than typical. She goes there when she's 12 instead of, you know, being an older person. And she does very well there. Actually, you know, she does very well academically and um, and eventually she gets chosen to be on this mission. And what the mission is, is her uncle had died. And when he had died, they, they had right before he died, they had found out that there was a problem with one of the fuel components on the mission that he had designed for. So they stranded four astronauts on what they call the pink planet. And she eventually gets selected to go on a mission to go rescue these astronauts on the pink planet. And that's the last section of the book. So it kind of goes, the first section is about her childhood. And then the second section is the boarding school. And the last section is her uh, going on the, this journey, but it doesn't go into great depth into any of the sections. So I would, again, I would say this is a great book for a young person, somebody who's interested in math and science, somebody who's maybe interested in being an astronaut, um, but for an adult, uh, you know, I read the whole thing, but I wasn't that caught up in it. So next month, I'll try to find something that's more adult to read and go oh, into a well, bit more depth. Yeah. So, uh, Sometimes it you sounds never like know. Uh, she left room for a sequel. Possibly. Yeah, uh, possibly so. Since she, only, since she is only on the mission, she hasn't actually gotten there yet, has she? Mm -hmm. No, she's, she's, mm. in, she's in space, actually. Right, so it sounds like they're going to continue on. If the, series do, if the book does well, they'll, they'll write sequels. If it doesn't, well, then that'll be it. It sounds like you're not going to be rushing out to get the sequel. No, no I, I feel like I've already contributed to her by purchasing. <laughs> I think that was enough for me. Yep. And got her some coffee. Exactly. Or whatever. Exactly. Okay. Well, Sherry. Okay. I think you're the last one. Other than yeah. Well, unless you count yourself. Well, you're the last one. The penultimate there speaker. I read something really good this month called oh, great. How High We Go in the Dark. By oh, that be so good. Oh, wow. Oh, you've read that? Oh, wow. I, I have not read it, but I've heard of it. Oh, yeah. okay. And it's by Sequoia, which is spelled like the tree. And the last name is Nagamatsu, which I'm sure I'm probably not <laughs> saying Japanese. right. Yeah. yeah, it's a Japanese guy. It's sort of dystopian plus SF. It's about a plague that starts in the Arctic. And each chapter is about a totally different person, but you'll find some people in some chapters are like neighbors of somebody in a previous chapter or somebody somebody met in a previous chapter. So they're a little bit related, but it doesn't really matter. Um, the chapters I liked best, there was a lot of ki little kids are dying of this thing. 
And so somebody sets up a euthanasia amusement park and you can take your kid there and have fun all day. And then at the end of the day, you put him on this giant roller coaster and it makes his heart stop and then he dies. And it's a much better death than dying from this plague. And so people are doing that. I just thought that was a really inventive, creative idea. Um, there's a chapter about some people studying the, the virus or the plague destroys organs. And these people are creating, they're growing organs in pigs based on stem cells. And they have a pig they name Snortorius P.I.G., which I thought was great. Oh, my. <laughs> and he ends up being able to talk because somehow the organs they put in him create that. And that's really it's it's not as stupid as it sounds. It's really moving and poignant because he realizes he's being he's supposed to be saving mankind. And that's his purpose and what he decides to do about it. And so that was really moving. And then there's a chapter about 200 people, many of whom were um, selected by lottery to fly off the earth and try to find another planet to live on that doesn't have the plague. And they stop on a couple of planets and people are in, in uh, frozen and all this kind of stuff because it's going to take a long, long time and all that kind of stuff. And those are probably the only three chapters I want to mention. The, some of the other ones are good, too. Um, and it, I just thought it was really good. It's only about nine hours long, too. Hmm. So how high we go in the dark. All righty. Well, we're continuing with a theme, apparently, because my book, Project Hail Mary, is also about saving mankind. Because the sun is dying, and they finally figure out why the sun is dying. And it's a virus also, but it's a really interesting, strange virus. Interesting if you're, well, if you don't care too much about humanity, it's, well, it's even interesting for some people who care about humanity because they want to figure out how it works so they can stop it. It's really, uh, it's, uh, this guy, uh, okay, back in the middle and late 20th century, Hal Clement was kind of the standard for hard SF. He was kind of the gold standard for hard SF. I mean, he didn't put all a lot of equations in his books and stuff, but there was a lot of chem. He talked a lot about chemistry and, and stuff. And Andy Weir has kind of inherited that mantle now. He is, his books but there's also a lot of heart in it. And I'm trying to figure out, and I still haven't quite figured out, even now that I'm supposed to be talking about the book, how much to talk about without giving too much away. Because there are some new, some really interesting twists in this book that really, uh, um, it's not just about the scientific quest to understand the virus and, you know, try to stop it. Um, there's more to it than that. There are some real surprises. So they send this ship out because they noticed that all the nearby stars except one are also dimming because this virus has gotten into the sun. And then when it's, it's done with the sun, it gets energy from the sun and then it flies off to Venus. And there it seems to reproduce itself 
by division. It doesn't have, it doesn't breed, but it reproduces. And then um, the descendants go back to the sun for energy and then they come back and breed again. And so our sun is losing its energy and they find one sun, Tau Ceti, that's not losing its energy. And they got to go, they're going to send a ship there to try to find out what has happened, either the virus hasn't infected it or there's something that can stop the virus at Tau Ceti. So the main character, Ryland Grace, he wakes up on the ship, but his memory is uh, very um, patchy. He doesn't remember where he is even at first. And, and his two companions are both dead. Um, apparently they were all in a coma um, for the, they, they go to near light speed, but they still, it still takes uh, a few years to get there. Uh, from their point of view, it's like 13 years in real time from earth's perspective, but from their perspective, it's about four. Um, so now we see him gradually recovering his memory and flashbacks and you see him, he's actually a school teacher. He used to write, he was a, prominent academic in a previous life but he quit because he got a lot of flack from writing for writing a paper about how life doesn't need water doesn't necessarily need water to develop and thrive and so he decided to leave academia and he went into school teaching but um this woman um who has apparently been given the power to commandeer whomever she wants and all the resources she wants to develop this project to find out how the virus works and 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 build a ship. Um, she commandeers him because of his previous academic work and he works on the virus and he figures out how it reproduces and so on. And then he gets involved with the administration of building the ship and creating using the virus for power because it stores a lot of energy. It gets, it seems to be able to survive at the surface of the sun and then come back to Venus to reproduce. And there's a lot of energy inside there and they got to figure out. And this guy works out just about everything um, in significant detail. It can be a little overwhelming perhaps to some people, uh, there is some math, but nothing, no algebra or anything, but there are calculations in it sometimes. And um, he, um, so we see him on the ship and we see these flashbacks and them developing the project and so on and how they select the crew. And, and um, so, uh, uh, and somebody else mentioned it, so I might as well mention it. He finds an alien there and he's in a much bigger ship. Um, and he seems to be um, more advanced in some ways, but less in others. And um, so they learn to communicate and they work together to find out how the virus or how it is not affecting this star. And um, so I'm not sure how much more I should say there are some really great, there were some, there was a bad moment, I will say, not a bad, not bad from the perspective of writing the book, but very suspenseful. Um, and there are some surprising twists um, regarding how this guy got uh, 
into the crew of the ship in the first place. Um, people who've read it will know what I mean. Uh, that was a big surprise near the end of the book. Um, uh, we had no idea that's how what happened. But that um, it was a great book. We really enjoyed it. There, the, the friendship between Ryland Grace, who's the main character, and the alien was really, you know, it was there was a lot of heart to that. And and you know, he's in trouble, and he, you know, they save each other's lives at least once each. And um, the, uh, you know, there's a point where, well, no, I better not mention that. Um, anyhow, it was a really, really good book. Uh, we enjoyed it a lot. We were kind of disappointed when it was over. You know how, you know, good books are like that. Um, we thought it was really great. Just try, I know Lissy was getting a little bit impatient with the science, but I told her what you said about the ending and we stuck to it and she was glad she did um sherry yeah good and uh we really really enjoyed that there's a there's quite a lot of heart in amongst all the science it was all very plausibly worked out um there was a, a it's a story of a great friendship um i have quibbles about whether they would really be able to communicate as learn to communicate as quickly as they did you know but that's there's a school you know that's the kind of the uh, John W. Campbell School of Older Science Fiction. Carl Sagan. People believe that you know aliens and humans would be able to communicate fairly easily. And there's another school of thought that doesn't isn't so sure. But that's a quibble, and I don't. I'm not. I wouldn't worry about it. It was a great book. Really good. This guy is not very prolific. I mean, he writes a book. I don't know every couple of years, two or three years. I think. But the reason is obvious. He puts a lot of thought. There was a great deal of, you know, a great many ideas. Um, I mean, you know, he, he works out a lot. He has to build some of his own equipment because some, you know, the ships have been damaged from various things. And, and he, you know, explains how, you know, he, you know, had to survive. I mean, he was all by himself on the ship for months you know, before he met the alien. Um, and um, he just, you know, it was, it was just really good. We really enjoyed it. So that's the, that's Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. And um, did you, you like know, it was, better than The Martian? Because I, I did. I liked it tremendously better. Than you know, the believe Martian. it or not, I hadn't read The Martian. I watched oh, okay. the movie. I watched oh, the movie oh. and I'm, and the movie was good. Yeah. Uh, but I hadn't read the book and Lissy was kind of surprised. I said, maybe I should. Um, because, well, there are themes there. That's another guy alone mm -hmm. surviving kind of like, you know, there's a, there's a commonality there, but I, I mean, I've got a, I'm not, um, I don't know, Mars. I'm kind of tired of Mars. But I, I wouldn't go out of my way to read the Martian if I were you. I didn't. Well, it's just my opinion, but I didn't think it was as good as most other people thought. You know, you know, I have not read an Andy Weir book yet, but based on what I've heard about them, it sounds like he writes about space MacGyvers. Well, and, that's a good yes, way to put it. Yeah, he does, but he works yeah. it out. He does not just say, well, I built this new piece of equipment. He, he goes into some details about how, I mean, he makes it plausible. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't just pull it out of a hat or anything. He makes it sound, you know, how he, he tells you how he did it. I'm I mean, he has Lucy. milling equipment there. He's got, you know, he's got torches. He's got, you know, because the, the spaceship is stocked, you know, because they expect these people to have to do some things on their own once they get there, because they don't know what's going to, they don't know what they're going to encounter. So they've got all, they've got a, a, a laboratory stocked with all the scientific equipment they can, they could use, they could, they can make, you know, they, that humanity has ever made, you know, they've got labs, they've got machine shop, just in case they need something they don't have and they can make it, you know, they've got loads of oxygen and, and nitrogen and they've got lots of, so the most implausible idea in this whole book is that humanity would actually get together, give this <laughs> woman strat all this power to commandeer whatever she needs to build this project. That is the most implausible idea in the book. And that's mm-hmm. really, I mean, everything else is great. This, that's just the hardest thing for me to believe yep, good uh, point. that that would ever could actually happen. I think if my, I could see people denying that the sun is, is dimming people didn't thinking mm-hmm. that it's a conspiracy by whoever the Americans would think it's Chinese conspiracy and the Chinese will think it's a West conspiracy. You know, I can see all that happening. I don't see the Chinese and the Russians and the Americans coming together uh, to, to build this thing and to go save earth. But, you know, it's a nice thought. Uh, but that is the least plausible part of the book. And he's not that into politics. He doesn't deal with it much at all. I mean, he's really not into it. He does a little bit near the end when he tells when, well, I don't want to give away the plot, but Strat is talking about what probably will happen as the sun continues to dim. You know, there's going to be famines and there's going to be wars over food and stuff. He has thought about this stuff, but he doesn't want to spend much time on it in his book. He wants to spend time on the science and the quest to say, you know, to find out about the virus and his friendship with the Rocky, the alien, you know, and that kind of thing. That's what the book is really about. Did anybody, I I read his book, Artemis. Did anybody else read that book here? No, I didn't read that one. Did you like it? I, I like The Martian better than mm. I liked Artemis. Artemis was a little different because it took place on the moon mm. and they have like a colony on the moon and, you know, people come from the earth to go to the moon to, to visit and stuff. But it was really, it was kind of an action movie on the moon because mm. the main character is a criminal. So it was it was a little bit different. It, I, I've not read project hail mary but i read the martian it sounds like mm-hmm. they're more similar than artemis was but a lot of people I like think so yeah i think so only there's aliens in this one and of course he works out you know their atmosphere and you know and all that stuff and they're they're different looking they're much different um and he he describes you know and he, he you know he He's a hard science fiction writer and he tries his best to make things as plausible as he can. And he does a good job. Um, So it was a, it was a great book. I I don't want to talk about the endings too much, but it was a great ending. Um, There were some shockers in there a little bit, but it was a really good ending and we enjoyed it a lot. 
Yeah. So that's if you want to hear uh, people discussing it, Worlds of Books, it's probably on the web page for Accessible World. They talked about it last month. Oh, they did? Yeah. Everybody oh. seemed to really like it. So. Oh, well, good. Yeah. Because, you know, it does get into the weeds a little bit on the scientific uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad Lissy and I are on the same page on that. Yeah, she was getting a little <laughs> impatient from time to time. But it can take him a paragraph a to open a box. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, or open it, you know, or seal a container. Uh-huh. You know, he's got to, you know, he's got to seal these virus. Con- and he talks a lot about, you know, trying to, you know, seal all these different tanks and study the virus and, and set up these various experiments on it and everything. And he talks well, a lot you know, about I, that. I heard Andy Weir on the podcast, and he said that at his first novel, The Martian, he actually wrote it for, well, the more technically minded professionals not really expecting it to get published for the general public. He had to do some rewriting to get that done. But yes, he threw in a lot of scientific stuff, especially for his target audience. Well, now he knows that these things can sell Mm -hmm. uh, and he didn't uh, hold back anything in the uh, project. Hail Mary book. I don't think he really, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, it really, you know, it just enhances the plausibility for me when he works stuff out to that extent. And it wasn't too much. Apparently, a lot of enough people liked it that he apparently didn't overdo it. There's a market out there for these books. I'm mm-hmm. glad to see. Yeah. You know, um, it's not just paranormal romance and stuff. You know, there's real hard SF can still sell, mm-hmm. and that's a good thing. I had a question for you guys. If you're, I'm sorry, Evan, if you're not done, I'll. No, go ahead. I had a question for you guys. Have have any of you read the Expeditionary Force series? Nope. My nephew recommended it and I started reading it and the main character talks with this good old boy Southern accent and it, it just mm-hmm. struck me as too cutesy, and I, I just couldn't stand it. <laughs> I had to quit. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if anybody's read them, if they got better. Nope. No. I haven't read him. I'm not into military SF. I'm really not. Um, I'm usually not either, but he, my nephew spoke highly of it and made me. Want I to made an it. exception for Ian Douglas because yeah. he, his books, um, some of them had to do with uh, the singularity and I'm interested in that. And he obviously is aware of it. And the technology was really interesting. I I'm still haven't read the ninth book yet. I'm, I've been kind of uh, subconsciously waiting for Bard to get it because they got the first eight and the ninth one's been out for, I don't know, a year and a half or more or something. Hmm. Uh, and I don't know. They've done this before with other series and I don't want to get into a rant on tape, but they they leave series unfinished. It's not yep. the only one. Um, I don't know if they have somebody up there who, you know, follows them or if they don't have anybody that follows them. So they don't know. I don't know what's up with that, but anyway, um, and his, uh, Andromeda and Dark series really, you know, I mean, he's got some real interesting aliens in both of his series. Uh, there are some other ones that I'm not as interested in that he's done, but I, I made exceptions for some of this military SF, but most of it I don't want to read. Um, and the Man Kazin Wars, I'm not even going to, you know, I'm not going to look at that. But Though I did read the novel that was in the space opera Renaissance. Have you, you, Sherry, you said you were... I was. It's still sitting on my stream. I have. I think I've read another story, and Mm. you know, I'm kind of reading it in between other books. 
Did anybody download that big book of science fiction, the 94-hour book? <laughs> no. I have, but I haven't started it yet. But that's the longest book I've ever gotten. Yeah, I've got to finish Space Opera Renaissance before I tackle that one. By quite a long way. It's the longest book I've ever gotten by quite a long way. The longest book I ever got before that was the Space Opera Renaissance, 69 hours. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, And I did read that. I did finally get that one done. And there's some good work in it. There's some junk in it, but there's some good work, too. You can't expect everything in a book that long to be good. No. But no. <laughs> there are some good good things in it. And it's probably just as well that you're able to skip a few things. Huh? Yeah. That's, thank, that's good, thank Daisy. <laughs> you, think, you think that's long. I'm one of, I realize this is unusual, but I'm one of that rare breed who reads textbooks as recreational reading. And I have downloaded some textbooks from Learning Ally that um, are well over about maybe 120 hours. And yes, I read them from start to finish. Wow. Oh my goodness. Uh, do you remember them much? Face. Yeah, yeah, some <laughs> of them, yeah. There was yeah. a biology textbook. I, I have a degree in biology, and but I never got a job in the field, and I'm still kind of interested in biology. So I downloaded one very, very long biology textbook. I think it was a biology 101 textbook, but it was really long. And I read it from start to finish, and, well, yeah, I did find out there are a number of changes in the biological field since I got my degree. Yep. And that's, uh, that's uh, going to supposedly the, the area of the 21st century. The 20th century was physics. The 21st century is biology, they say. So I guess that's, we'll see. You know something? There was uh, one of those articles in Analog Magazine back in, I think it was about... 1991, and I forget who wrote this, but he said, have you noticed that the 100th anniversary of a lot of things is coming up? The 100th anniversary of the invention of the automobile, the 100th anniversary of the invention of the airplane, the 100th anniversary of this and that, and he said, have you also noticed that it's the 200th anniversary is coming up of a lot of things, uh, like the invention of the hot air balloon and, well, et cetera, et cetera. He came up with this idea that when that 99 turns to a zero, zero, and you start a new century, that inspires people to want to come up with something whole, entirely new and start with an entirely new invention and new discovery and so on that somehow inspires people. And he says, watch what happens in the next 20 years and see what new comes along. There are about two things I've thought of that could match what he was talking about. The cloning of mammals and the invention of the internet. And we might also... And we haven't seen a lot of uh, results, fruits of this yet, but it, that might be coming up, the completion of the human's genome. So maybe he was right. 
I don't know. The invention of the iPhone, that uh, was pretty big. Um, that, that, that really was pretty transformative. I better say something here. Um, <laughs> the next meeting of the Science Fiction Club will be on June, what, June 9th, 2022. I almost forgot that uh, May has 31 days. Um, June 9th, 2022. 